players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and the most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Brainstorm, Daze, Force of Will, and many others battling head-to-head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by Boshmerl on YouTube, Thraven University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and much more at ToaMagic.com. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. You've got to be kidding me. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introduction and banter for the week available in our Patreon exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternal glory to gain access. And uh, this week's pre-show, definitely a little bit special. Yeah, it was a good one. Shout out to our new patrons since the last episode who will be enjoying that pre-show. We've got Patrick, Bicus, David, Cardboard Connoisseurs, Bish, Lishmael, John, and Harrison. Thank you for joining the Patreon since our last episode. Do, do they have to pay a little bit extra for you to say their last name? Uh, like, how does this work? Because you do it for some people, but not for all. It's kind of a mix. Like, it's more of me finding my stride with this segment of the cast where I don't know that everyone wants their first and last name read on the air. Uh, I Like, obviously, we are all semi-public figures. Like, everyone knows my first and last name. But I do get messages all the time like emails from like cloaked names that are just like mr anonymous is like the email and then it's just like they want me to play a deck and i'm like okay what name should i say they're like leave it anonymous it's like okay uh like some people take that more seriously than others and i've just decided not to say anyone's last name acknowledge that you're here without doxing you also so sorry to dig deeper on this you just assume everyone knows your last name at one point in our lives brian someone thought that you were me so just That's true. That out there. Yeah. Yeah. At, at, there was a time where Brian Cook was a content creator and Brian Koval was not. Also, Brian Cook still has significantly more like Star City level top eights than Brian Koval has. So it's true. He's making a face right now. Don't you have like eight SCG top eights or something? I have nine, but your results are way better than mine. Well, yeah, but I win like individual like major events I, there's people who don't even know what eternal weekend is but the star city promotion machine uh everybody for years was looking at star city's main page every day when i, I don't know like some people don't even look at eternal weekend <laughs> somehow we're in a dick measuring contest already <laughs> uh, all right and we're all uh, dicks we're aside all trying to be humble. dicks aside we're gonna move on for what it's worth like i do think my my like first place resume is better than yours but you have a many more top eights than me at high level events so like and over a longer period of time like i didn't really like wake up as a competitive player till like 2017 i was just trying to troll to begin the episode i'm sorry i don't mean to be here we're we're in a debate no it's not even a debate obviously tremendous respect for both of my co-hosts including the one who somebody once thought was me or vice versa i had somebody mold a four thinking i was on the epic storm and then I was like, Tundra Ponder. And they were like, oh shit, I thought you were Brian Cook. That's the thing that happened. I think I won that tournament. 
It was a Star City classic. So I'm going to force this on here <laughs> as uh, this is the, the tight portion oh, of the show. Um, so in lieu of a Patreon submitted question this week, um, we decided to use the first section of the show to do a quick addressing of the legacy bands or lack thereof. On June 7th, uh, we got a banned and restricted announcement where Pioneer had Winota and Expressive Iteration banned and an Explorer Expressive Iteration was also banned. While those aren't the formats that we're focusing on here, in Legacy, they gave us a statement, and I'm just going to read it verbatim here. Quote, Since the ban of Ragavan Nimble Pilferer in January, the win rate of Izzet Delver has come down, and the deck now shows appropriate strengths and weaknesses against the other most played archetypes. Reanimator, Control, Resource Denial, Combo, and Aggro are all additional macro archetypes that are seeing success. We'll continue to keep an eye out for potentially unhealthy or unfun play patterns, but otherwise, natural metagame forces currently look sufficient to handle any short-term shifts in deck popularity, end quote. Do they know that the bigger a format gets, the better expressive iteration gets, because the spells get cheaper and more powerful for your mana investment, and they banned expressive iteration? That's the card that I've had my eyes on for a year now. They banned it in two formats, and they're like, nah, Legacy and Modern are fine. I've seen a lot of Twitter conversations recently comparing expressive iteration to the currently banned dig through time. Yeah, no shit. Except you don't need a graveyard to do it. It happens immediately. I I believe it is a more powerful card than dig through time if we keep in mind the context of the Magic the Gathering mana system. Obviously, if it's coming off Mind's Desire, I'd rather dig through time. But for like two mana versus two with a giant asterisk i i believe express federation to be a more powerful card than dig through time our editor phil blackman shout outs to force of phil at the legacy pet open opened up my mind to it. i was like you're really gonna play expressive iteration in your control deck he's like brian it's dig through time and immediately like a light bulb went off in my head i was like it is it is literally dig through time and since then i've always looked at it that way so once again shout out to phil really opened up my eyes on the card the announcement i tweeted out something about like you are we looking at the same thing here had like forty-five thousand impressions and people interacting with it because a lot of people are unhappy and i've had some time to sit and think about this announcement and initially i was like delver's metagame percentage has come down from 27 percent down to 22 if that's the shift they're looking at when top miracles was banned i believe it was at 18 percent if my memory serves me correctly and i think if we're just looking at metagame percentages not win rates because that was something that they cited in the ban announcement is the metagame percentage of miracles it's possible that the wizards of the coast ban philosophy has changed about metagame percentages with mtg goldfish being a much larger player in the online game because if you look across multiple formats they talked about vintage being healthy when the blue tinker decks are now approaching 30 percent of the metagame Granted, Vintage does have less decks in it due to the power level, but 30% is incredibly high. There's modern decks that are pushing 20. Popper has three decks that are over 20% according to the metagame or uh, the challenge data stuff. So has Wizard shifted the goalpost? Is 20% no longer a big deal? Does it need to be higher? And that's something I kept on asking myself while I'm thinking about this announcement. I think meta share and win rate are not necessarily connected. A deck with a higher win rate will skew towards a higher meta share as players realize it's good. But Delver does have that like smart person, smart person sort of 
allure to it. Like, it is the best deck, and I fancy myself a smart legacy player, therefore I'll play the best deck, and you're a fool for trying anything else. And all the intricate micro-decisions involved in Delver make me very smart for my ability to win with it. Like, that is a thing that people do. They're not always wrong. There is a, a sexiness to winning with Delver that might not be there if, like, Colorless Eldrazi is the best deck. Which, there was an era where it was up there, but a lot of people would never touch it with a thousand-foot pole. But Delver, it's a sexy deck. It may stay sexy even if it's not as good as it once was. If the win rate dropped from, like, 57% to 50 or whatever with the loss of Ragavan. I don't think they shared those numbers, but I'm just... You know, plugging and chugging here. Like, if the win rate is down, but people still have the memory of it being that good, and it is still good too. It's not like it got cut out from under it. They didn't ban brainstorm. I, I don't think that looking at the meta share is the the important data for banning a card compared to win rate. Another thing about Delver is that historically the best Delver deck has tended to fluctuate where like you do this rock, paper, scissors of like, this is a Grixis weekend because I need discard. Uh, I really need the size of Tarmogoyf this weekend. I'm going to play Rug Delver this weekend. And right now, like, generally speaking, just straight is it Delver has the tools that you need for just about everything. And while you can splash, the vast majority of Delver players are just on straight blue-red. Sometimes you go a little bigger, you play the Delverless Delver version, you get some Ledger Shredders in there, but a uh, good, good deck is good. You don't need to mess around too much. You can change your two sideboard cards as the metagame shifts. Yeah, I believe it was Reed Duke who a few weeks ago messed around with Rug Delver in some Sunday challenge or something. And to my eyes, it was like, okay, you have a creature that is smaller than Murktide Regent and also can't block Murktide Regent. And you've opened yourself up to Wasteland and Submerge in the mirror match. What do you do when you're playing an extra color? Like not Reed specifically, but anyone. What is Grixis giving you that expressive iteration isn't already just powering through on straight, is it? It's crazy. Uh, like, Wastelanding a Delver player now is just so bad. Back in the day, you could, like, hit the Tropical Island, hope they can't cast a creature for a while, they're just on red, or if they find a land at all, they have to pick, do they want the red or the green? Now they have five Volcanic Islands in the deck. It feels like Delver plays more lands than Miracles when I'm playing against them. Like, a cheese wasteland never cheeses anymore, and it used to from time to time. So another thought that I had about this ban announcement, and you guys can tell me if I'm absolutely wrong here, it's just a thought. I feel that when the metagame becomes solved, and I mean, it's been time and time again that these blue-red Delver decks remain cream of the cream of the crop. So you think of the Oko deck, followed by the Dreadhorde deck. I mean, they're the same deck, actually. But then Ragavan, there's these time periods where we're all just waiting for something to happen. And then nothing happens, and Wizard sites win rates that are like, oh... Well, it appears to be healthy to us, but a large portion of the player base has decided that they're just going to hold out for the next thing. I feel a little bit like we're in that right now, and Wizard's saying, well, the metagame looks fine while a bunch of people are sitting on the sidelines. So it almost tells me that if we're not playing, we're not going to get what we want. So it's a little bit like a punishment. I don't know if I'm just way off base here, but share I don't think that thinking of it as a punishment or any sort of malicious or even conscious act is productive or true but i i do absolutely agree with your assessment that you know, win rate looks fine among the people choosing to play which is does not represent the many people who are choosing not to and for what it's worth of someone who plays six or seven legacy leagues a week with different decks i actually think legacy is mostly fine right now 
I think Expressive Iteration is a little over the line, but not in the way that Ragavan or Renin 6 or any of the problems before it were over the line. And you can succeed with a lot of decks. Delver is targetable. My experience lately is that Delver is a top 8 machine, but doesn't win the tournament. Like, you're going to hit that competent green-white depths pilot. Some 8-cast player is going to outmuscle you, or... This past weekend, I played an event where I went undefeated with Grixis Control, which is a deck that I've been working on with some of my Patreon subs for a while now, and it has uh, three Lightning Bolt, a Fatal Push, three Sudden Edict, two Hitetsugu Consumes All in the main, and then I bring in five Red Blasts out of the sideboard, and Delver just doesn't touch you. All of their shit dies, and you have more uncounterable removal spells or one-minute removal spells than they have threats in their deck, and you can do that in the format if you choose to. And it's just sort of like the the Star City Invitational I won, Grixis Death Shadow had the same sort of meta share that Isadelver has now in Legacy. And if there is a obvious best deck that you're going to play against once every four rounds or so, and it is exploitable in some way, and in this case, most of their threats are blue, they have to win by attacking, and those are things you can shut down. You can metagame to win a tournament in that world. But a lot of people aren't playing to metagame a Grand Prix. They're just trying to like queue up on Magic Online and have a good time for two hours. And I think those people are suffering the most, more than the people who are actually trying to win PTQs and stuff. On a different note, a lot of the more casual players who are my YouTube viewers are getting a little sick of the prevalence of Urza Saga. Um, I had a Twitter poll the other day just asking, like, my Twitter followers, like, hey, do you think Urza Saga is a problem in Legacy? And overwhelmingly, people said, like, no. And then the perspective from, like, the casual person watching Legacy on YouTube is like, I roll another Urza Saga deck. Like, it just goes in everything. So, like, even if you are managing a ban list, like, you have multiple like constituencies to worry about like multiple subsets of players and trying to do something that is going to make all of them happy is rough i'll ride for urza saga anytime i think that thing is a masterpiece of design and it is perfect in all of the formats it's legal in i i stump for it the same way i stump for uro when uro was on the chopping block or on the the watch block like a year ago this is an appropriate power level card it's not broken it's just powerful. There are answers in the format that line up against it. And where's Uro right now? Where is he? I haven't seen him. Bant is just completely squeezed Uro out. Uro is getting pitched a force of will. That's where Uro is. Right. Like, it's getting pitched a force of will to answer the Narset that every deck has four of. That Uro is terrible with Narset in play. Control players have just figured out that Narset is where you want to be. And yeah, Uro's... Uro has just naturally flowed out of the metagame for now. And Dress Down, Wasteland... Uh, meltdown <laughs> there's plenty of answers to a card like urza saga and the deck building incentives to use urza saga are so high i think the statement it just goes in anything is preposterous like what <laughs> no it doesn't it literally doesn't i'll ride for urza saga forever i love that card and love that it exists i think that saga is a really really good design i don't think it's po too powerful for either format and it's obviously more powerful on modern than it is legacy in my opinion but uh in my like granted phil your audience is a lot more casual than mine but i tend to face a lot of black pox decks when i'm playing you know donation decks and stuff which tends to be fairly casual and there's a ton of those decks that i face 
that are playing Saga because it rewards them for playing cards like him with Urborg and that sort of stuff. So maybe you're just finding the specific group of casual players that doesn't like Black Pox with Saga. I don't know. Urza Saga is the glue that holds together a bunch of the jank that I play, just like Uro or Oko or Ragavan was a couple years ago. Yeah, right under probably like Sharkstill and Bant as far as like reasons people sub to my channel for specific decks. I think number three is Lonepox. And at this point, it's been so long since I released a Sharkstill deck. It might be the second deck that people come to me for. Like my my viewers go nuts. They love that shit so much. And they want to see me do Pox, Saga, Loam, Saga sort of nonsense. Anytime those videos are guaranteed to drop it like one or two out of 10 every time they come out. Speaking of nonsense, I think we should head over to our next section. I recorded a Riddlesmith deck because it had top aided a Legacy Challenge. It actually top aided a second Legacy Challenge this week and another one that was in ninth. And if you're unfamiliar with the Riddlesmith, it is a two mana blue creature. It's one and a blue for a human artificer that is a 2 1. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Phil, I know that you have some experience in this arena. What other two-mana creature goes pretty well with this? Uh, that's going to be Containment Construct, which is a two-colorless mana, 2-1. Two, Whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you can play that card this turn. And this creature doesn't, like, innately look good, but it's actually pretty busted if you play some things like Breakthrough, where normally the discarding a card is a downside, and when you turn that downside into an upside, all of a sudden your breakthrough is just one of the best possible draw engines. Combo! Yeah, Phil, tell me more about single blue mana draw four card sorcery. How does that play in practice? Okay, so this deck has 27 zero cost artifacts. So when you play your breakthrough and you discard a bunch of these cards, you are actually just discarding things that either are going to immediately net you mana or draw you a card at some point. And if you control both cont Containment Construct and Riddlesmith, you're casting a spell, you're drawing a card, you're discarding a card, you can play that card, and you can work up towards like a lethal brain freeze or grape shot after not too long, and you can pretty much literally just churn through your entire deck. Yeah, the deck when I played it was super powerful. The list that we're looking at that top aided this weekend has some of the adjustments that I actually mentioned in my video where they just happened to think the same thing. They didn't watch my video and then make the adjustments, but they were like, this deck needs main deck defense grid. They cut some of the cheeky artifacts like Gusta Scepter and uh, why can I remember the name of this? Uh, Retrofitter Foundry and a bunch of the stuff like that. The list from this weekend looks a lot more fine tuned to me. Uh, they also cut the Joyra, which was a four-mana legendary creature. All the cute stuff's gone. There's only this one damn Planeswalker that's left. Karn the Great Creator. Hate that guy. I hear you've recently come around on Karn a little bit. I did have a pretty sweet player too in that video. Not trying to get you to watch my video, but uh, I had some fun. Yeah, I, I queued into this deck. The player on Magic Online is I Play Bad Decks. And this person, I've queued into them a few times. and. Every time, they are not lying. I don't know about bad decks, but they play cool decks. They play exciting decks. And I had played against them like two or three days before, and they were on a white stacks, stompy, timeless dragon kind of thing. I kept a hand, 
with that in mind, because uh, I couldn't really predict what was going on. I died on turn one to Riddlesmith. Just, we were done. It was over. And I just watched them chuck their deck at me with no interaction in my hand. I was like, okay, that was sweet. And that was probably about two weeks ago, and they've clearly put the work in and rewarded with back-to-back top eights, and the list is just getting better and better. I will say this about the deck. When I was playing it, the entire time, I was just crossing my fingers and praying that nothing bad would ever happen to me. It felt like a lot that I was playing a glass cannon. And not that the deck's bad. The deck is really powerful. It does really exciting and powerful things. But I couldn't help when I was sitting there with my Riddlesmith in play going, please don't have Pyroblast. Please don't have Lightning Bolt. Please don't have Swords to Plowshares, which isn't something that I tend to think a lot. Um, so there's different trade-offs to playing different styles of decks. That's just what I'm trying to express here. Yeah, I want to be clear that I'm not toting this as the future of Legacy Combo. Uh, it's just a cool deck that's been put up multiple results lately. One of the things that I like about this deck is that in addition to being this like pseudo storm deck that has like a storm kill, you're just an Urza Saga Ancient Tomb deck. Oh, that card goes in every deck. Sure does. It's in storm now, boys. All right. So like the thing that's cool about this is when your opponent just like plays a deafening silence or some shit, like you can just go like, okay, like Urza Saga pass. I have so many artifacts in this deck. Like these constructs are going to be huge. You have to respect this angle of my deck as well. When Urza Saga was spoiled, I messaged the Storm chat and I was like, hey, this thing gets Lion's Eye Diamond, or if we play one cyborg Hope of Gear per gets that, it was literally laughed out of the chat. And uh, here we are now playing Urza Saga and Storm. Happy to be here. Well, this is a, a very vintage sensibility thing. The vintage Paradoxical Outcome decks and some of the Tinker decks and the Breach decks they're all just on like three or four Urza Sagas right now because it does exactly what Phil just said. In in Vintage, like your PO deck has all these mocks in to pick up with PO. People bring in their Null Rod and then, all right, it's just power and toughness. Here's a pair of 9-9. Nine, nine. Let's, let's, let's play. If they don't have the Null Rod, you just tutor up Manifold Key or whatever, Black Lotus, and win the game instead. It, very Vintage sensibilities about the Urza Sagas in this deck and... If you can do a vintage thing in Legacy, it's usually worth exploring. I also think this deck has like potential sideboard options that aren't being explored right now of like Kappa Cannoneers or Patchwork Automatons to lean into that stompy aspect further for the matchups where you don't expect your combo plan to work out. Yeah, the the most recent top eight list has a pair of Monastery Mentor, which is kind of what that's doing. And as long as the white man is reliable, that, that seems like as good as those other options. But yeah, it could go deeper on that. As the Burning Wish player in the chat, uh, I've always felt this about Burning Wish, where if you want to maximize its effectiveness and your cyborg slots, you really don't want to be playing a few copies of them. You want more copies because you want those wish targets to feel like they have value. Looking at this deck list, there's a lot of wish targets. We have a Tormod's Crypt, a Defense Grid, Liquid Metal Coating, Mycosynth Lattice, Mystic Forge. This list actually has less than the one that I played previously, so props to the user I play bad decks for trimming some of those. But they have a single Karn, and that's five cyborg slots that are, you know, being taken up by a single main deck Karn. I think it's reason, I'm not saying this because I hate Karn, like this truly isn't the reason that yes, he's a trash planeswalker and I hate the design, but it's a lot of cyborg slots. You could cut that one of in your main deck play another win condition, because at least in the list that I played, it only had the main deck grape shot, and Karn was the backup. 
you could add in another wing con there and then gain five sideboard slots, which is another route that you could take to possibly make the deck more consistent. I agree this deck probably has too many Karn targets, but at the same time, like being able to slam a Karn is an I win button versus certain decks, especially if you can just do it on turn one or two, like this deck probably can a good portion of the time. Like when you're playing against the eight cast decks and you stick a car in that early, it's very powerful. When you're playing against a storm deck and you shut off all of their artifact mana and then you can just take time to go off while they can't, there is something to that. And Karn being a one of, calling anything a one of in this deck is very different than a deck that doesn't draw and discard and cast its entire deck multiple times in a row when it's going off. I don't know, I feel like this Karn, you don't even want it in your opening hand, it's just sort of like, the second or third Echo of Eons is going to find it when you've played out all of your mana and you just have a dozen blue floating to Karn and Lattice immediately through Defense Grid. I don't know. I, I've, I have not played this deck myself. I've done no work on it. It just seems like one is a really intentional choice of the number of this card that the deck could play. And there's a second in the sideboard, too, which is wild. That makes sense for when you want it for those specifically eight cast or whatever matchups. Yeah, you can tell a lot of intention has gone into this. This is not a this is not a Bosch and Roll donation deck that I spent twenty five minutes on. That this is this is something someone's done the math. Three gambles in this deck. Three. That's the right number. That's incredible. Bryant's like eye is probably twitching just like a little bit. When I played it, I wanted four gamble for breakthrough, but I'm not the one creating this. Like I would if I had to build my own deck list, there would be four of each of those because when I was playing it, those were by far the best effects. Yeah, when Pokemoki and I were working on Dark Bant together and we were making room to add something for the new metagame, I suggested cutting up Baleful Strix down from four to three. And we had a whole conversation about like, that's either lazy or brilliant. Like, are we just shaving one of the most like uns- unspecific cards? Does this generic cantrip because we we're too lazy to figure out what the real cut is? Or is three somehow the correct number with the card draw available in the deck and the other answers to the things Baleful Streaks is doing? And when I see three copies of a card that makes a lot of sense as a four of in a deck, I assume that deck builder has done the work. Speaking of doing the work, um, a lot of people are beginning to brew around another card um, that is just released on Magic Online, and that is Displacer Kitten. A new blue combo creature. Yeah, let me, let me read this one for our auditory medium. Three and a blue, four total mana. Creature dash cat beast. Did they? It's interesting they called it a beast too. Is this some sort of hybrid animal or are cats just beasts naturally? I mean, I, I don't know. It's a cat uh, it's, beast. It's, it's got a really funky looking tail. Yeah, I guess it is. glowing kind of, green eyes. Oh yeah, in the background of the art I'm looking at it, it actually does have multiple tails that end in like sucky toothy tips yeah this is pretty beastly okay cat beast it has avoidance which is not a keyword it is a uh i forget the exact language they use in the rules for this but it's like when they when they tell you when they give you a word to make you remember the rules text though the word itself doesn't have any specific rules uh, i don't know but anyway avoidance mostly flavor text whenever you cast a non-creature spell Exile up to one target non-land permanent you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. And it's a 2-2. On the surface, this thing saves your creatures from removal, right? That's what it's for. Like, you play this, and then your opponent casts Swords of Plowshares, and you cast Brainstorm and Flicker the target, and then you get a free counter spell. Is that where we're going with this one? No, we're we're going to Degenerate Town. Oh. And 
since we were already talking about my boy Karn, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk us through a pretty complicated loop. The short version here is that a kitten plus a Karn is a kill. The long version requires a lot of steps. So here we go. If you need a written version of this later, Joe Dyer on MTG Goldfish kind of like has this all laid out for you in an article that he pushed out uh, either today or yesterday. Here's what you do. You minus Karn to get a Lion's Eye Diamond. You cast the Lion's Eye Diamond, which allows you to reset the loyalty on Karn using your Kitten Trigger. You get three mana for the LED. Using your new Karn, because you reset its loyalty, you minus Karn again and get Tormod's Crypt. Cast the Crypt, blink the Karn, exile your graveyard, which now exiles the Tormod's Crypt and the Lion's Eye Diamond. You're now back at the beginning, and you can repeat this cycle, netting a whole bunch of mana with LED until you decide you're ready to fetch your Mycosynth Lattice or other win condition and kill your opponent. Right, and the reason this works is because Karn says you can get a card from outside the game or exile. And by exiling your own combo pieces, Karn can keep grabbing them. Yeah, it's it's really cute. And some people are also messing around with loops involving Teferi, the kitten, and a zero-cost artifact. Because yep. you can minus your Teferi, bounce the artifact, play the artifact, like blink the Teferi, and kind of like go and draw your deck that way. Right, because Teferi's minus has draw a card on it. Any zero-cost card... And Teferi draws your deck. So a very easy thing you can do is Teferi in a deck with a bunch of Mishra's Baubles, which is a card that is seeing Legacy play anyway. Ledger Shredder's a card that likes that. Monastery Mentor is a card that likes that. Uh, it's also Storm equal to the number of cards in your deck, because every time you cast the recast the zero, it's a spell. That's a prowess trigger. That's a mentor trigger. So you can just pass the turn with seven counter spells in hand and 40 monks if that's how you want to go. Or if you want to go a little faster, you can put a single Mox Amber and Thassa's Oracle in your deck because Mox Amber taps for blue off of the Teferi. It's also a zero cost spell to get the Teferi loop going. And eventually you won't have a deck and you can cast your Thassa's Oracle without a deck and your opponent can't interact because you have freaking Teferi in play. That is a tight little package. I'm very yeah. excited about that, by the way. So this is going to be one of those things where, like, this is a four mana combo piece, which is like a bit much by legacy standards. Four mana combo cards do see play. We see things like sneak attack um, happening. Oriox Salvagers is the closest card to Displacer Kitten in my brain. That's I've, what I was thinking. Yeah, uh, Chris Stagno and I have been working on a Rafine CEDH deck. Uh, that's a reanimator style because Rafine loots your deck away. And we have Salvagers and Displacer Kitten as our like core payoffs uh, once we're once we're going. And similarity to Salvagers is is very clear if you have that historical perspective. I'm a lot lower on Displacer Kitten than uh, the rest of Magic Twitter. People are like, this card's going to change the game. And I'm over here like, it's going to get pyroblasted. Wait, has, has anyone bolted. in Legacy said this is going to change the game? I see a lot of ca commander casuals complaining, but like, I, I, I think among Legacy players, we know this isn't broken. It's just like a cool thing you can do. Maybe I'm reading too much of the CDH stuff then. I um, think so. Commander Twitter's been fucking nuts over this card. <laughs> they are out of control. 
that's probably what's lasting in my head then. But I just read this card. I don't even know if it's good in CDH. Like, it might be fine in high power casual, but the tables I'm playing at, this thing is not going to cut it. Yeah. So one of the nice things about this card is that, like, if you don't actually have a combo kill with it, it is a medium ETB value sort of creature that you can still play and do something that is hopefully helpful with it. Kind of in the vein of like, uh, if I have a Yorian, I can blink something and get value out of it. If you play a Displacer Kitten, you will probably find something to do with it, even in these situations where you cannot fully combo off and win the game with it. But still, right. like, four mana, bar's so high for that in Legacy. And it's really good at protecting itself, and it needs to get into play before these things happen. So obviously, like, a Force of Will or Pyroblast on the stack's gonna get it. But if you resolve a Displacer Kitten with days in your hand, it doesn't matter if they can pay for days, it doesn't matter. Uh, like if days resolves, you just have to cast it, bounce your island, have cat flicker itself, and just built-in protection. If you play it with any extra mana, that bit that I opened this segment with of like we're just brainstorming to save our cat from remo- removal, right? No, that's not really what we're doing, but it's there. If your deck has like baleful strix in it, every brainstorm also draws a card off baleful strix, ponder flicker strix. Brainstorm, flicker it again. That's going to bury on the fair axis really quickly as well, even if your combo never comes together. Force of will, cantrip. Oh, baby. Getting hot and bothered over here. My evaluation on this card is like, this is the thing that you are going to see in leagues a ton for, I don't know, the first two weeks to a month that it is out. People are going to mess around with this. There's a chance that some great brewer like Jax or someone like that breaks this card wide open. But I have a feeling this is probably one of those things that kind of fades out, um, especially with kind of how low to the ground Legacy is right now. And with many decks main decking Pyroblast right now, doesn't seem like the best time to be playing the four mana blue combo. Well, I'll say this, Phil. At least for now, I haven't been playing a whole lot of Legacy due to just not loving the format in general. But when I record videos of Legacy for the YouTube channel, with the unlimited accounts that Magic Online is currently providing, the leagues are wild. People are just playing every pet deck they've ever wanted to play. So when you look at the leagues, at least at the moment, probably by the time this episode releases... You're just going to join and you're going to be like, oh, I didn't know Mono White Clerics was a legacy deck. Obviously, like there's just shenanigans out there. Brian, you'll enjoy this. I recorded the Eruth Gamble this week, which is uh, the epic gamble fused with Eruth Storm. And I queued into five Lion's Eye Diamond decks. It So between myself and all my opponents, there were 30 Lion's Eye or 24 Lion's Eye Diamonds in play. <laughs> it was outrageous. As it should be. <laughs> yeah, life in Bryant's brain. Um, and just while we're talking about leagues right now, this is anecdotal, but I have been running into a lot of Yorian decks in Legacy right now. And I don't just mean, like, death and taxes. I have run into so many, like, Yorian Allurin, Yorian Cephalid Breakfast, Yorian Four-Color Control, Yorian Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, I think people are really trying to push and see, like, what decks can I shove Yorian into that it makes better versus what decks does it get worse? Yeah, Yorian is really sick and people like adding cards to their decks. And it's very strange to me how coherent Yorian combo decks are. Like I played 
Yorian Food Chain and Yorian Aluren recently, and you would think that your combo deck you'd want higher density of the cards that matter, but as long as your fair plan is coherent enough to either win the game on its own or get enough time to get to the combo, you're going to be fine. And if you are in a situation where the combo is not good, then you're just a like Yorian fair deck. Back to that mid-range war, one of our finest episodes of all time. Yorian is going to win the mid-range war over the non-Yorian deck almost every time. And a deck with a combo kill in it is going to win the mid-range war over the deck without a combo kill in it. And these Yorian combo blue soup piles are just really freaking good. I'd like to note, we also talked earlier about being in garbage time, just waiting out the clock, waiting for the announcement to happen. These are the times that you should be expanding what your deck is possible, what you can be doing. Now is really the time to be doing that sort of thing, because when the announcement happens, or if it happens, you know, knock on wood, you want to be doing the next best thing or the thing that you want to be doing once that hits. So... I mean, it makes sense if people are blue players that they want to be experimenting with this free card in the, better, for lack of a better term, the command zone. Yep. At risk of repeating something I've already said in this episode, the current feeling of garbage time might not be the the inevitable garbage time that we're used to. Like the last month and a half of Ragavan, the last month and a half of Ren and Six, like all those things were like, Ugh, can we be done with this now? This might be the legacy we get for a while. If Wizards of the Coast feels the way they feel about is it Delver's current position with whatever information they have that we don't, or whatever information we have that they don't, that they don't aren't interested in, however that breaks, this might be legacy for a while. This is not the the normal actual broken garbage time. This is we're kind of tired of this best deck, but it's there's always going to be a best deck. Yeah. And if you're going to keep playing the format, engage with the format that you have. You know, it, it, it's what here, what's here. In, enjoy it or not. If you're not enjoying it, there's lots of other formats that you can mess around with and try. And that's something like we've promoted a lot via this podcast is like if you're not enjoying a format, like take a break from it. Maybe it'll give you perspective. Maybe you'll come back refreshed. Maybe the format will have changed. Yep. I saw a phenomenal set of screenshots on Twitter this week of a legacy game where the opponent went off about expressive iteration being in the, the player's deck. It was like, this is banned. No, it was banned in Pioneer and Historic, not this. No, it's banned. I saw the announcement. Then they linked them to the announcement. It's like, you just photoshopped this. You're cheating. You've been reported. <laughs> and it was just like, uh, that poor soul. They wanted it so bad, just like the rest of us. But uh, yeah, the, we're not quite in gentleman's agreement legacy yet about not playing Express Federation. Oh, are we going to talk about Mystical Tutor next? Uh, let's not. All right. Um, there is something else that I want to talk about on that epi- on this episode, and that is Currency Converter. Now, this isn't in Baldur's Gate, but it is a new, well, air quotes, new card um, that is just arriving on Magic Online. Um, so I'll go ahead and read this one. It is one colorless mana. Whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. You can pay two mana to draw a card, then discard a card, and you can tap this thing to put a card exiled with it into your graveyard. And then a couple things happen. If it's a land, you get a treasure token. If it's a non-land card, you get a 2-2 black rogue creature token. So why is this good, Phil? Well, I haven't played with this card yet, uh, as it has just been made on Magic Online, but I've started to see a lot of deck lists with it. Lands decks in particular, although I've also got a loam deck in my queue that I'll be playing that has this, and I think it has utility in standstill as well. 
as a one-mana artifact in a format full of Urza Sagas, this is potentially a lot of value as an Urza Saga target, kind of like a Retrofitter Foundry might be. Uh, it is a way to kind of like grind 2-2 rogue tokens or treasure tokens, and in decks that normally can't play selection cards like Brainstorm and Ponder and Preordain, having colorless selection is pri- like surprisingly good. There are legacy decks that like, play a maze mind tome or something like that right like that has shown up from time to time just because something is often better than nothing and currency converter can let you do cool things like loot away extra lands that you've done with life from the loam getting value off of them that way um it's kind of neat it's really cute with cycling cards too because cycling counts as discarding right so you can cycle your shark typhoon for its normal effect and then you can also exile it and then dump it into the graveyard later to create a 2-2 rogue in addition. I love the idea of Timeless Dragon, where you get the planes, you get the rogue, and then you also get to eternalize the Timeless Dragon because it ends up back in the graveyard. This is not for your fast decks, though. This is for your slow, grindy decks. This is for the deck that wants to win on turn 10. While this has some utility and maybe a deck like the Riddlesmith deck that we were talking about a minute ago, and it can be an Urza Saga tutor target there. I'm not really sure that that deck wants it since it is such a slow source of card advantage. I'm going to make a direct comparison here, Phil. For our listeners, there's another Magic the Gathering card, Bag of Holding, one generic mana for an artifact. Whenever you discard a card, exile that card from your graveyard, pay two mana, tap it, draw a card, and then discard a card. So the beginning half of this card is identical. And then the last part is where it differs. So instead of getting a treasure token or a 2-2, you can pay four mana, sacrifice the Bag of Holding, return all cards exiled to Bag of Holding to your hand. So that last line of text is what's different. As it stands right now, Bag of Holding sees very little play, and maybe this is just the combo player in me, but I'd rather have a fistful of cards than a couple two twos. And that might be the wrong perspective, because I'm greedy. I can say from the like standstill player perspective, I'd rather have a two two than a handful of cards. Like you gotta win the game. If you're starting to convert currency, this is basically gonna happen in two spots when you're absolutely desperate to do anything. And when you're in complete control and need to win somehow. And the decks that are going to play it are going to be like the lands and the the land stills and basically saga decks. I think this does have the value it's looking for. I recently recorded a league of four color Bant, non-black, the other four colors, that had one Cephalid Coliseum in the loam package. And that was completely nutty bonkers. And this has given me those same vibes, but in colors that can't play blue or don't play blue. And it's the same sort of Loma thing, get rid of the thing, do something else with the thing. And I I could see this crack and open a game. I would be worried about this. On the flip side, if I was a blue player versus lands and I like prismatic ending your exploration and exile your loam or something and then this arrives i would be extremely worried this is the kind of thing that i don't want to see my my non-blue opponent doing and in lands specifically like you have cycling lands that this is just like absolutely sick value with right yep so like you can live those worlds of like life from the loam return my cycling land cycle my land dredge my life from the loam make a treasure to cast loam with death and taxes can play this too uh yorian taxes is a saga deck most of the time, and giving death and taxes, merfolk looter, is a problem too. I don't want them to have any more selection than they already have. It already feels like they 
run perfect every time against me. I don't know. Like, Death and Taxes already has so many mana sinks, though. Like, you've got Equipment, you've got Yorian, you've got Rashadden ports. Also, like, the Death and Taxes lists, even the Yorian ones, are pretty tight. Finding room for extra Urza Saga targets is tough, in my opinion. I agree. I would still be extremely worried if I was a blue player and this card came into play. Oh, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Yeah, like finding the deck space is a death and taxes player problem. On the blue player problem, trying to beat death and taxes. I don't want to see this thing. So you're giving me nothing but good news here. This would be one of those things where like, I would try it for a league expecting never to play it again after that league. I, I am always in the like test everything, even if you don't think it's going to be good side of the equation, though. So yeah, I think the ability for your deck to want to discard non land cards is really important because a treasure if you're at a point in a game where you're willing to discard lands is probably not a big resource, but a creature out of something that you're going to get value out of anyway, like like putting the Timeless Dragon or the Loam or something like that in your graveyard where that you want it anyway and get a 2-2 out of the deal. You're probably right that Death and Taxes doesn't want this. Since we have a couple minutes left in the cast still, uh, I'd like to talk about something that happened with the release of this set. So with Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, not all of the cards got actually released on Magic Online. And I don't mean they're not available yet. I mean, they like they are currently not planned to be available at all. And there are a couple of cards that are going to impact a lot of formats. Popper has a lot of very strong commons in this set that didn't make it. And Legacy potentially has a couple of cards that didn't make the set release. One of which is a card that's kind of similar to Merktide Regent, Sailor's Bane. This is a 9-mana 7-7, seven, 7-blue-blue seven, seven blue creature dragon turtle. It costs one less to cast for each card you own in exile and in your graveyard that's an instant sorcery or an adventure card. And it has word for. that. That's worded kind of strangely, and they have to word it that way because cards that are in exile generally don't have card types uh, but it's basically got the uh crackling drake text where crackling drake was a card that people played in phoenix to sideboard or to sidestep graveyard hate because crackling drake power in top or power is equal to the number of spells in exile or in the graveyard so sailor's bane it's no Mark Tide region, that's for sure. No flying, no trample, just ward, just big. This reminds me more of Terramander than it does Murktide Regent. The being able to ignore graveyard hate is big for times when that matters. I mean, we're not really in a legacy right now where Rest in Peace gets played. But Leyline of the Void sure does. Yeah, Leyline of the Void is is hot right now, but like what are you gonna do? Just like split this with Murktide Regent so you don't so sometimes you aren't got by Leyline? Do you do you put this in your sideboard? I'm not seeing it. I tried to look up a card and I'm failing to find it, but you're a human encyclopedia for blue decks. My friend Jake Saraceno is an Is It Delver player and loves this creature that I just can't think of the name. It's literally the same thing, except it's like a 5-6. It has the same count instant and sorcerers in your graveyard to reduce the cost. It's like 7 mana. Do you know what I'm talking about for Blue Blue? It's an uncommon. I don't. Okay. I tried to find it on Goldfish, but I'm coming up short here. It was around the same time as Terramander. So I saw this thing come up quite a bit in places like the Legacy subreddit. Where people went like, hey, if Murktide Regent gets banned, like this can be your replacement. It's going to come down slower than Murktide Regent on average by quite a bit because like your fetch lands and such aren't counting towards your graveyard count here. Um, neither are things like your bobbles. So it's going to come down slower. Ward 4 is a pain in the butt. Uh, Kappa Cannoneer being a great example of like 
how much that mechanic is just strong. Um, I've also seen some people wanting to play like a turbo cantrip deck with like thought scours and considers and such to play like both this and Murktide Regent. Because you can exile your graveyard with the Murktide Regent, and then it's still going to count those instants and sorceries that you nuked for Sailor's Bane later. Yeah, I'm, I'm still just not seeing it. This is an extremely replaceable effect. The the lack of evasion. Kappa Cannoneer, if it didn't have the unblockable clause, would be significantly worse. And that's what we're looking at here. This creature is smaller than Kappa most of the time, has the same ward protection, no evasion whatsoever, just bricked by a Baleful Strix. Not interested. You can't sell me on this What's the name of the whale? Ethereal Forager. Yes. I think this thing is fighting for the same sort of design space that Ethereal Forager is, but Ethereal Forager kind of gives you card advantage as well. I think this is a card that people want to try, but ultimately they would not end up playing, at least not in like the tiered decks. I'm not interested in this one, but there are two cards that didn't make it to Magic Online that I do want to talk about. One of them is Abdel Adrian, Gorian's Ward. This is a four and a white legendary creature, human warrior, 4-4. When Abdel enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-land permanents you control until Abdel leaves the battlefield. Create a 1-1 white soldier creature token for each permanent exiled this way. Does this text remind you of any other cards that see fringe legacy play? World Gorger Dragon, gentlemen. Come on, get with the picture. Oh, okay. That's what we were going for. All right. Yeah, okay. So Abdel, you can do the animate dead thing with it, except instead of like you still get the you still get the infinite mana, you still get the infinite enters the battlefield, leaves the battlefield triggers, whatever that's worth. And you get infinite soldiers just built right the fuck in exile the animate dead. It makes a trigger that kills Abdel, but Abdel makes a one one on the way through. So this is actually tighter. Or it's non-land permanent, sorry. Uh, you don't get the infinite mana unless you have a mana rock of some kind. Uh, but it does make infinite creatures just in a one one and done thing. You don't need a third piece the way you need for World Gorger Dragon. This could supplement or replace Gorger in a lot of combos. It could bring on new decks of its own. Like I, I know the, the Gorger community could figure out something to do with this and some reason to play it over Gorger itself. It's a, It's smaller than Gorger. It's a legend, so Caracas can break it up. It's kind of concerning. It's also lower risk because it's worded in the new way that they word Oblivion Ring effects. Like Gorger, if it gets plowed with its exile trigger on the stack, all your permanents are gone forever. This one has the built-in mitigation. Like there, there's something here that would be interesting if we were allowed to play with it on Moto. I'm sure a donation deck would come through me. I did hear about a black-white World Gorger deck in CEDH, but... I'll be honest, I didn't care to ask, but this is apparently the answer. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm playing Abdel in that Rafine Reanimator deck that I mentioned earlier with Displacer Kitten and Salvagers. We also have Animate Lines. You get Gorger when you don't when you're not red. Obviously, CEDH has different incentives because you don't get four of all your cards. But Abdel, there is strong precedent that this could be a legacy card. So there's another card that I had a deck list brewed around that I had to just delete. Uh, that's Minsk and Boo, Timeless Heroes. This is a four mana Planeswalker, two colorless, red and a green, for a Planeswalker with three loyalty. And it's got a weird ability. When it enters the battlefield and at the beginning of your upkeep, you may create Boo, a legendary 1-1 red hamster creature token with trample and haste. And its plus ability here is put three plus one plus one counters 
on up to one target creature with Trample or Haste. So when you play this, essentially, you're going to end up with a 4-mana Planeswalker and a 4-4 Trample Haste creature for 4-mana that grows by 3 every turn, assuming you can do it. The token also just gets to come back, and it has another ability, minus 2 to sacrifice a creature. When you do, Minsk and Boo deals X damage to any target where X is the creature's power. If the sacrifice creature was a hamster, you also draw X cards. So this creates creatures which come back, the creatures scale, it's also card draw, it's also removal. Yep, I had a version of four color Bant with Minsk and Boo in it, also ready to go before we learned we were not allowed to play this card. This this definitely has a power level that is there. I am in in my various Bant shells, I've been playing Paradox Zone, which is a free creature every turn and card advantage. And I've been playing Nissa Who Shakes the World, trying that as a planeswalker that generates a creature every turn. Minsk and Boo would fill that role as well. It's in the rotation of things that could do that job. I wanted to play this in essentially like the Yokel Hops Red Prison deck, because casting a Yokel Hops, getting your hamster back the next turn, and then attacking for four, then seven, then eleven, gets someone dead just so quickly. Absolutely. Like that's such a good finisher there. Yeah, any of those red, red prison-y style decks that can get a green pip somewhere in there would benefit from this card. I'd like to circle back. I wasn't going to be able to sleep at night if I couldn't find the card that I was trying to describe earlier. A, a card that's very similar to Sailor's Bane is Cryptic Serpent. A 5 blue-blue creature that's a 6-5 costs one less for each instant and sorcerer in your graveyard. This new Sailor's Bane is essentially that card with Ward 4 tacked onto it. So that card got a slight upgrade. That card does see play though, right? Like, isn't there a modern deck that plays that and like the instant and sorcery that creates a like a fractal token that's the size of like the instants and sorceries in your graveyard in exile? You're farther in the weeds than I am. I've never seen that, but I believe it exists. I've never seen it either. But this card saw a little bit of play during that Terramander era of Legacy. I believe you. Uh, and... The Sailor's Bane is way better than this card because obviously, like, it's both bigger as 7 7 compared to 6 5, the Ward 4, and the In Exile Clause as well as In Graveyard Clause. That is a, a pretty strict upgrade to this one, but I'm still not seeing it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Sailor's Bane is going to be good enough. There's so many good cards that you can be playing. Like, also, I think everyone forgot Sprite Dragon is waiting in the wings. I think that's better than the whale, personally. And who's thought about Sprite Dragon in the last year? I saw one in play this past weekend. I was very surprised. Were you traveling back in time? Kind of. Uh, it was at that casually competitive invitational I played at. I saw Is it Delver or Sprite Dragon. Well, here's to hoping some of these cards actually make it to Magic Online so we can test them and know for sure. I think there's huge implications in Popper for things like Initiative that just didn't get coded to Magic Online. So uh, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, Hamster Hops and uh, Hamster Bant can become a thing. Go for the eyes, boo. 